Hey, greetings, Bible and life friends and family. Welcome to what is variously called Holy Week or Passion Week, depending on which church you're a part of. It's the week that we really celebrate Jesus' final week as he's coming to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding the donkey into Jerusalem for that final week of his life, leading up to his crucifixion and then culminating in the good news of his resurrection. And so that's the week we're in and the church calendar, and it's just great to celebrate that together as God's people. Uh, On my YouTube channel this week, I'm actually going to uh, be releasing a video on Thursday that is really uh, wrestling with the question, why should any of us believe the Easter story? And going to be really describing my own journey and struggling with Man, you know, I've never experienced a resurrection before. Why do I think this one happened? And when it's so hard to know what happens in history, why do I think this happened in history? So if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, you might want to check it out this week as I just share kind of a, a special uh, five-minute five minute Bible study there on my YouTube channel where I'll, I'll wrestle with how, how come it is that I believe this story of Jesus and his resurrection is a true story. Also, one other little update that I wanted to make you aware of is I've just released my very first book. It's a a short book on parenting that is easy and accessible that busy parents can actually read and no fluff, just get straight to the good stuff. And it's specifically on how to create a culture in your home that'll help your children flourish so that they can really grow up in the wisdom and the grace of God. It's it's titled Prepare Them to Flourish. And it's all about creating that environment, that climate, that culture in your home that actually does that for your kids. It helps them to flourish. So you can actually check that out uh, on my website or there's there's just a website for that book called preparethemtoflourish.com. Preparethemtoflourish.com. Just go there and it's got a couple uh, options for how to buy it, whether buy it through Amazon for Kindle or other ebook formats. And so preparethemtoflourish.com. If you are raising kids and you want to explore um, just how to create a culture in your home to help your kids flourish, I would recommend that to you as well. All right, let's get ready to jump into uh, Luke chapter 15, our final parable in the series of parables we've been looking at, and I'm super excited about this parable. It is probably the most well-known parable of all. It's the parable of the prodigal son, and it is one of the most meaningful parables, the most moving and valuable parables that Jesus ever taught. Now, the parable picks up in Luke 15, 11. But the first thing we need to look at in order to make sure we hear the parable properly is the setting of the parable, the purpose of it. Why did Jesus tell it? And so in order to see that, you have to look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Luke 15, 1 says this, Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to listen to him. And so, the, in other words, the tax collectors and the sinners represent those people who are at the bottom of the social uh, ladder. They are the people who are outcasts and on the outside and by cultural standards, and no one would want to do that. And all these people are gathering to Jesus. That really raises questions about Jesus' legitimacy in the minds of the religious people. So, The Pharisees, verse 2, and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, that's what leads into this series of parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, is the fact that Jesus is welcoming sinners and uh, tax collectors to himself, and he's eating with them. Not just talking to them, he's eating with them, which by cultural standards basically was a way of... Um, 
essentially saying that they're like social equals. The Pharisees themselves had such uh, strong um, purity laws for their eating habits that they wanted to try to be as pure as the priests were required to be in the temple uh, at their own table, in their own dining room. And here's Jesus welcoming people who, by social standards, by the Pharisee standards, were like, there is no way they could ever eat with us because they are not nearly as pure and as clean as they ought to be. But Jesus is eating with them, and that raises massive questions about Jesus' legitimacy as a rabbi and as a religious teacher. And so that's what sets up this series of parables that culminates with the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the parable of the prodigal son begins like this. Uh, There was a man who had two sons, and both these sons are important to the story. We'll have to pay attention to that as we go. We usually only know what happens to the first son, but we can't really hear the whole parable if we don't realize there's two sons. And in some ways, the focus of the parable is on the second son. Let's keep going. Um, So this father has two sons, and the younger of the two sons came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the property that's due to me, that's coming to me. Uh, And so this younger son comes and asks for his father's um, property as uh, really his inheritance that's going to come to him eventually. Now, a Bible scholar named Kenneth Bailey, who spent most of his uh, ministry years and his adult life, really even some of his formative growing up years, in the Middle East and was very familiar with traditional Middle Eastern culture that in a lot of ways, particularly during the, the time that Kenneth Bailey was there, had changed very little from the days of Jesus. And so working through this parable, Kenneth Bailey uh, used to like to ask them this question. He would say, has anyone ever made such a request in your village? And the response of the villagers would be, never. Could anyone ever make such a request Bailey would follow up with? Well, that's impossible, the villagers would say. Well, what would happen if anyone did? And the reaction of the villagers was this. Well, his father would beat him, of course. Well, why is that? Well, the request, the villagers would say, means that this younger son wants his father to die. That's the tone and the feeling behind these words. Father, give me the share of uh, the property that's due to me. Jesus' original audience would hear, as Jesus tells the story, would hear those words, and they would respond like those villagers that Kenneth Bailey is describing. That's impossible. No way. That's crazy. This father, we know how this father's going to respond. He's going to be angry, and he's going to beat his son. But does he? Well, let's keep reading the story. The parable says this, and he, the father, said yes, and he divided his property between his two sons. In other words, he doled out his uh, estate, he divided up his estate and gave each son uh, their share of the, their inheritance because this younger son requested. That is an extreme example of this father's mercy and compassion and generosity. Some would say it's so extreme that it's almost foolish. It's way too lavish. Why would he do that and let his son get away with this? But he does. He does. Well, presumably what the younger son does is liquidates his share of the property. In other words, he sells off part of the family farm that's been in the family for generations. How in the world could you do that? That not only brings disgrace on the family, it gets rid of property that they need for their livelihood, and it dishonors the whole village. But he does that, and then the younger son gathered up all his possessions, and he he went on a journey to the far country. 
the far country is sort of like a just a way to refer to Gentile lands, to those far away places, to people outside the village, to people who aren't our own people. He went away to the far country, and there he squandered all his wealth, all his property in loose living or reckless living. And it's that word loose or reckless that this uh, word prodigal comes from. And prodigal oftentimes in our mind is associated with immoral living, and certainly there may have been some of that here, but the word basically means just wasteful living, wild living to the point of being extravagant and wasteful, just blowing his father's money, just living it up, having a blast and uh, blowing his money in wasteful, extravagant, crazy living. So he blows all his money, spent everything he had, and now he's kind of destitute and has nothing. And then not only that, to make matters worse, Jesus says in the parable that a severe famine arose in that country. And this young man now is in dire straits and desperate need. And so he didn't know what to do. He had no money. There's a famine in land. So he went and hired himself out to a farmer in the 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 area and the farmer actually happens to be a pig farmer and this farmer sends this young man out to go work and tend and care for the pigs again pause you got to put yourselves in the sandals of Jesus original audience how do they hear this remember they're Jews and what are pigs from the perspective of Jews well pigs are unclean animals right they would never touch a pig they would certainly never feed a pig no way and here's this young man who is now um he wished his father to die. He has uh, sold off family property. He has wasted all his money. He's been foolish and wild living. And now he's feeding, he's feeding pigs. Surely, if there is anyone who doesn't deserve anything good to come his way, it's this younger son. Um, and so there he is working in, in the fields, caring for the pigs. When he comes to his senses, he comes to himself, and all of a sudden he begins to realize, man, if If I were working at home, if I were just one of the hired servants back at home, my father treats them so much better. They have more than enough. They are well taken care of. And here I am living in in a pig slop with nothing. Maybe I could go home. I could beg for mercy. I know I've, I've... you know, shamed my father, dishonored my village. There's no way I could I could ever hope to be his son again, but maybe I could work for him. Maybe my father would let me work for him. And so he comes up with this plan to return home, hoping just to maybe get a job on his father's farm. That's the plan. So he arose and he made the journey back home to his father. Now, how does the father respond? What's going to happen in the story? Well, again, Jesus' original audience, they already assume what's going to happen. They already assume, um, they know how this story is going to end. This son's going to come to his father. His father will uh, meet him at the edge of the village. The villagers themselves will meet him at the edge of the village. He will not be welcomed back into the village. There will probably be some rock throwing. There will be angry words. There will be, you know, shame, maybe even spitting at the son. And he will be turned away as an outcast because of the, the shame and the dishonor he's brought on his family, on his father, and on his village. There is no way he's going to be welcomed back into town. That's what Jesus' audience would expect. But what happens in the story? Well, the son makes the journey, and Jesus tells the story like this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his father recognized him. 
and his father recognized his walk, and his father did something shocking. His father did something dishonoring and disgraceful to himself. What did his father do? His father pulled up um, the, the robes around his feet and pulled them up towards his waist, and he ran to his son. Uh, his father felt compassion, Jesus says, and ran to his son. And that is shocking and dishonoring. The dignity of an older man in Jesus' culture was marked by the dignity of his walk and how he carried himself with a dignified walk through town. And older men certainly never ran. And you would never run to a disgraceful young son like this. No way. But this father... He could care less about his own honor. What he cared about was his son. And so he ran to his son. And when he arrived at his son, oh, and by the way, Kenneth Bailey says he suspects that part of the reason his father ran to his son was he wanted to beat the villagers to him. Um, knowing how you know communal these villages are, and the villagers would have you know met the son at the edge of the village and not welcomed him in, the father has to beat them there. That's Kenneth Bailey's assumption from knowing this kind of culture. It's quite possible that's part of the reason. And so the father runs to his son, and when he gets there, what does he do? Well, he gets there and he embraces his son. He hugs him, and he began to kiss him with a kiss of welcome and greeting. Well, the son begins to tell his prepared speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he has his whole speech prepared. But his dad cuts him off in the middle of the speech and basically turns to his servants who now come out and and, um, are there with him. And the father turns to his servants and says, go get my best robe and get my ring and put it on him and get sandals for his feet because he doesn't have anything on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. This father welcomes his son back um, completely and totally puts his best robe on him, puts his ring on a finger, and all those things are symbolic actions to say, this is my son. No way. You are not going to be a servant. You are not unworthy to be my son. You are still my son, and I am welcoming you home completely. And then he has them butcher the fatted calf, and they throw a massive party and invite the rest of the villagers. So now the son is restored, not just to his father, but he's restored to the community, to the whole village. And the whole village is now brought into this. And this son is given the dignity of being a part of the community again. And so they have a party and he says this, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to celebrate. A party was thrown, celebration was had. Now that's often where we stop the story, but that's not the end. Remember that this story is set up by the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling against Jesus for welcoming tax collectors and sinners. In other words, Jesus is doing in his ministry what the Father is doing in this story. Jesus is eating with the the lowly, the outcast, the quote-unquote unworthy, and he's welcoming them to himself, and he is welcoming them to to God the Father. So Jesus is the living embodiment of this Father in the story, and he's doing very much what this Father is. 
uh, does. And that's causing the Pharisees to grumble. Well, look what happens in the rest of this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Now his older son, this man's older son was still out in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and he heard laughing and he heard dancing. He heard a party going on and he was confused. And so he called one of the servant boys over and asked, what's going on there in the house? And the servant boy said, oh, well, your brother's come home and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And how did the older brother respond? Well, the older brother responded just like the scribes and the Pharisees. He was upset. He was angry. uh, And he refused to go into the party. He sat outside and he sulked. So what did the father do? Well, again, in Jesus' culture, everyone would know or at least assume what the expected response of the father was. Fine. My son's going to treat me with that kind of dishonor. My son's going to treat his brother with that kind of dishonor that he could just stay outside and he can miss the party. That's what everyone would expect. But that's not what this father does. This father leaves his guests, leaves his party, dishonors himself, lowers himself again, goes out to the older son and pleads with him, begs him to come into the party. When the father comes out, the older son is he's upset and he's sulking and he says this, he says to his father, look, look at all these years I have served you and you've never even given me a goat so I could have a party with my friends. And then this son of yours comes home and he's wasted all your money, even accuses him of wasting with prostitutes and he doesn't know for sure that that's happened. He's wasted all your property with prostitutes. And then you welcome him back gladly, throw a party for him and and butcher the fat calf. And this older brother is upset. And the father responds to the older brother and says, My son, you've always been with me. And everything that I have is yours. Literally, he's divided up his property between his sons when this younger son left. Everything that's left has already been given to the older, older son. What's left is his because the younger son got rid of it. Everything uh, I have is yours. And it was fitting of me to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. What an incredible picture of the Father. And Jesus wants us to know that God is like this. He has told this story really to subvert the assumptions about God that were dominant in the Pharisees and the scribes and in many in his culture that God is standoffish. God is more concerned about his honor than he is about his children. No, God's not like that, Jesus says by telling the story. God is like this father and In me, Jesus is saying, in my ministry, in me eating with the outcasts and the lowly and the younger son types, with me eating like them, God is at work welcoming them to himself. That God is a gracious, merciful, compassionate father who's willing to uh, lower himself to come and, and beg and plead and welcome and greet his sons and daughters home. And the reality is, is we're never told how the older son responds in this parable. We don't know whether he goes into the party or not. What we do know is, 
At the end of this parable, the older son is just as distant from the father as the younger son was when the younger son was in the far country. What we do know is the older son thinks that by having worked hard, he he deserves a, a party from God. He's worked for God to get from God rather than to be with God. And Jesus wants us to know that God simply wants his sons and daughters, all kinds, wherever they're from, whatever their background, he wants them to be with him. And so this father in this story has, has dishonored himself by going to the edge of the village to welcome his younger son home. This father in the story has gone out of his party, um, out to his older son to plead with him to come in. And what we see in this parable is a portrayal of a God who is gracious and merciful and who humbles himself in order to rescue us and to welcome his children home. And it's not just theory. It's not just a nice idea. It's what happened. It happened in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God himself going uh, going out to the edge of the village to welcome his sons home. Jesus is God himself going out of his party to come and plead with his son to come in. In Jesus, God is seeking and rescuing all of us. Whatever kind of lostness we have, whether it's lostness from um, thinking we're good enough, thinking if we work hard enough, whether it's lostness that comes from running away from God, whatever kind of lostness we have, in Jesus, God is seeking to draw us to himself and rescue us to himself. And that's why this parable is so powerful and so meaningful is because it's not just theory. It's what happened in the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, we see God himself suffering the disgrace ultimately of the cross, beaten bloody and naked, um, dishonored, devalued, looked down on, hanging on a cross because for whatever reason and in whatever way that was necessary to welcome lost people like you and like me back to himself. And so God comes to us and suffers the shame of the cross for the joy that's set before him because he knows there's a party ahead and he wants as many of his children to be there as possible. And so wherever you're at in your walk with God, if you're on the inside of the party, celebrate with the Father because he's so good and gracious. If you're on the outside of the party, would you consider coming in? Would you hear the heart and the pleas of your Father in the person of Jesus to come into the party and just to gladly and freely receive his generosity and his goodness because he literally loves you to death? That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the God revealed in Jesus Christ. All right, that's about all we have time for. There's so much more that could be said out of Luke chapter 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. I would encourage you to read it and read it again and then read it again. Picture it and imagine it like it was a movie. If you were going to make a, a movie out of this scene, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you experience? What do you feel? Um, see it through the lens of the older brother. See it through the lens of the younger brother. See it through the lens of the father and experience the goodness and the grace of God the Father coming to you in the person of Jesus. Read the story and let it shape your view of God and your walk with God. All right, thanks again for joining me on this episode of The Bible and Life. 
Um, thanks for all your encouragement and all your support. Uh, if you wouldn't mind praying for the show and praying for uh, more people just to um, be able to experience uh, Bible teaching that's hopefully helpful and clear, I've just been convinced uh, in for a variety of reasons that, man, God's people are hungry for, for clear and helpful Bible teaching. And, and so would you just pray for for God to open doors for this podcast to grow and to expand. If you have people that you think it might be helpful to, would you share it with them as well? And let's help people come to know this good God that's revealed to us in Jesus Christ. All right. Have a great rest of your week. Have a blessed um, Good Friday and a blessed Easter Sunday as we celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus. God bless you guys. We will see you on the next episode of The Bible in Life.